Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This podcast explores all the things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, 3 years ago, or yesterday. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at Love Letters and Mixtapes. Well, I am so happy to have the opportunity to introduce you to my guest today. I met Wendy while I was working at a cancer support center, and I was immediately drawn to the work that she was doing with the people at that center. And in each of our roles, we were walking with people through a lot of change, pain, fear, and uncertainty. But without fail, I would see people walk out of their session with Wendy like a light switch had just been turned on inside of them. And it was truly inspiring, and it brought a lot of hope, restoration, and healing. So I invited Wendy to join us today for a conversation about everything our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was trusting our intuition, taking care of our own energy, or showing up with compassion for others. Welcome to the Love Letters and Mixtapes podcast, Wendy. Thank you for having me, Casey. I'm really excited and a little bit nervous to be here, but happy to be here. Well, I am so glad you're here, and I can't wait to get into this conversation with you. But before we do, I would love it if you could introduce yourself to the listeners and share just a little bit about who you are and what you do. Without saying so many details, I am a hypnotherapist and Reiki master. I don't really like the word master, but that is what it's called, and teacher. I use a lot of other modalities in my work as a light worker and healer. And I've only just recently decided to call myself a light worker and healer, even though I have worked with teachers, oh goodness, since maybe 1987 in the area of light working and healing. So Wendy, for anyone listening who has not had an experience with it, can you share with us what Reiki or energy work is, what it entails, maybe what it feels like, so that we can give people a framework of what we're about to explore? Energy work can be done in person or distance. So if it were an in-person session, let's say, it's a hands-on, hands-off type of modality that is meant to clean off your auric field. And what that is, is if our physical bodies are our physical bodies, the auric field is right outside the energy around our bodies, basically. And so if we clean that energy around our bodies, then our bodies are more able to heal or move through whatever it needs to move through, or our emotions are able to sort of balance more easily, more readily, especially if we've been inundated with toxic environments or trauma or what have you. And so if someone were coming to me to have a Reiki session, let's say, or an energy session, I would have them basically get on a, like a massage table face up and get them nice and cozy, put some support under their knees. And I would then work on spraying around sort of an auric cleanser, spraying with salt water and maybe some essential oils that smell really great. So doing a little aromatherapy to calm the person. And then, you know, the lights are dim. I will have some beautiful music playing that's of a soothing frequency. And then work on sort of, <laughs> it's re really strange to talk about this, to scrape off the mud that is on their energetic field. So it's interesting because what it feels like can be different for many people, but it feels relieving. Like it can feel very soothing. Most people fall asleep while I'm working on them. I do give a guided meditation sometimes if I feel like the person has a lot of mental activity. And in the first few moments that I'm working with somebody, I'm really feeling where their energy just is. Like what's going on with their, if, if they are big thinkers or if maybe they've had heartache or betrayal 
or if they've got digestive issues or if they feel like they need to run away from something, I will feel that in their body, in the energy that is around their body because they're giving off a frequency of a lot of mental chatter or it just, it, it's interesting how it feels to me. So for instance, if you just waved your hand in the air right now, the air might feel even, you know, like you could feel it's even, it's going to feel the same high and low or whatever. But if I'm waving my hands or like dragging the energy or sensing the energy around someone, I will feel a different temperature or a different sort of resonance of that energy around them. So it might feel cooler or looser or silkier or sparklier or something like that in different areas of the body. I mean, I don't know. That's exactly what I'm feeling. It's really funny, but that's what I'm feeling. And to the person, it might feel like, oh my gosh, she's taking things away from me. Like it could feel like I'm taking a sweater off of you, or it could feel like I'm putting a blanket on you. It's, it's almost like whatever it is that you need, you're going to get. So for instance, if somebody is really cold, my hands will feel really hot. The energy will feel super hot wherever I am. If I'm lingering around the ears or the brain or the, you know, the back of the head or the throat, it might feel really hot. But then if they're really hot, they might feel that my hands are super cool, cooling and refreshing to them. They're going to get whatever they need. Well, I think I have to jump in here because I have my own very real life example and I have to share it. Because I remember one time years ago, you worked on me and we were doing a remote session because I was probably living about 2,000 miles away from you. And I remember this so vividly because afterwards, I actually wrote you an email about it, which I was pretty self-conscious about, but I almost felt like I had to tell you because it was so intense. And I use that word for lack of a better description. You know how in the circus clowns have those scarves that are tied to each other and they pull them out of their mouth one after another you were doing that to me you were pulling things out of my body out of my mouth and I remember being half asleep and trying to bite down to hold on to what you were taking away because I was so used to it and I remember in the moment in my half asleep dream state being so angry that you were taking these things away from me and really trying to bite down and hold on to them because I thought that they were a part of me. I couldn't believe that you were trying to remove them from me. And it's so interesting because afterwards, I felt so unburdened. And unburdened is not a way I often feel, but I remember that specifically. And it made me think about how often in my life am I doing that? How often am I biting down and holding on to something for dear life that I'm absolutely ready to let go of? I'm ready to be unburdened, but I can't quite set it down. I'm sure that that's pretty relatable. I can't be the only one, but that session stood out to me and I've had so many with you that have been so transformative, but that one makes me laugh to this day because I remember how angry I was and how healing it was, how transformative it was. You know, it's interesting because I prefer remote sessions to in-person sessions. And because I'm so introverted, it allows me to really take the time to go deep into the person. And I'm imagining that I'm tiny, 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 and that I'm walking through your body and that I'm really examining your entire, all your systems, your emotional systems, your skeletal systems, your, your whatever. I'm going through with a flashlight and I'm looking at everything and I get to shine the light and send energy in those areas or pull things away or do whatever. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. Now I do enjoy in-person sessions too, but it's a different quality for me because I'm also concerned that you're comfortable and all of these things. Whereas when I work on somebody remotely, we can be thousands of miles apart which you know most of my clients are and i know that you're comfortable cuz i'm telling you to get in your get cozy in your own bed you know like get cozy cozy and for some people who don't necessarily know what to do i might send them a playlist 
to listen to. And we have a conversation ahead of time to set it all up. But I love that I, I know you, that you're taken care of. I know that you're in a good space. And then I can just delve into 100% the healing aspect, the intuitive juiciness that comes up because your body tells me everything I need to know. It's you communicating with me. It's your cellular structure, your emotional structure, what the trauma or turmoil or the happiness. It doesn't matter but how it has resonated within your DNA. I get all this information and it's so much fun. I don't know. And then the things like I find out because then I do at the, as I'm working with the person, your body tells me so many things. It might tell me practical things. Like, I don't know if you don't, if you don't mind me saying this, like you're doing too many inversions. You need to stop going upside down so much. I, you know, like when I said that to you, right. And I don't know what the person is doing. I can't believe you remember that by the way, that was like six years ago. And it must've been a pretty pronounced thing that I shouldn't have been doing, but I was. And it's so interesting because I changed my practice and my body felt better. So there you go. I mean, all I know is what you're telling me and what spirit is telling me in that moment as a prescription. So it might be, you know, oh, maybe they shouldn't do this as much, or maybe, maybe they need more water or maybe, you know, whatever it is. And so sometimes it's very practical what I'll say at the end of a session. And sometimes it's very etheric and all of it is coming from being in a state of, it's a trance state where I'm just receiving what it is that your body needs or that spirit is guiding me to say, you know, I mean, honestly, that's what it is. Now, I will say that every Reiki practitioner has the ability to do that because Reiki in and of itself, it's, it's positive energy. It is only ever positive and the energy is everywhere, right? So it's never depleting. It's always going to replenish. It's always positive. It's not going to contradict or conflict with anything going on. So if a person is taking medications for something or is doing a particular practice, it's not going to interfere with any of that. It's going to amplify their healing process. It's going to allow them in some ways to get out of their way, to take those silk scarves out of their mouth, right? Whatever, right? And so for that, I love it. But what it also gives to the practitioner, if, I mean, I, I meet Reiki people a lot that say, oh, I have Reiki level blah, 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 but I don't do Reiki at all. I'm like, why not? Literally, you're expanding your own energetic prowess. You're expanding your ability to be flexible in situations and circumstances um, and to not feel so rigid in life. And also, whatever intuitive gifts that you have, it amplifies it. It just makes it stronger. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, in my introduction, I shared about how I first met you, and without going into details about my first actual session <laughs> with you, I can share that it was pretty life-changing, and it's been interesting to witness you do this work in the world and exist in the world and create that experience for people. And it's not really getting outside of themselves. It's actually more about getting in touch with themselves and connecting with themselves and that healing process that some of us can be a little cut off from. I myself have gone through phases like that as well. And those experiences with you that I had and how we know each other were really transformative. I would love to hear about your first exposure to some of these practices and what that was like for you. So I remember having an experience when I was probably around six where I skinned my knee or something of that nature. And I put my hands on my knee, on my leg and intended love. I was by myself on a playground and I intended love into that space. And I was really 
kind of shocked about how I was able to just get up and carry on. And there were other times too. I mean, I had an unfortunate experience with a barbed wire fence when I was probably 11 and did another similar thing, you know, where I was able to just kind of get up and go after putting my hands on the wounded area. So I would say that that's probably one of my first experiences working on myself. But I did have a profound experience when I was around eight years old and I was with a relative who was very ill. And I just wanted to give this person a lot of love, a lot of healing, because I could feel that they were in distress. And my feeling was, my idea, my, my just instinct was to put my hands on them and to, like, at their feet and to shove white light up their body, to just shove it in. Like, I just wanted it to get in there because I didn't feel like they would accept it any other way. I didn't have really words to express what I was doing, but I just knew that I needed to give them some sort of respite from emotional and physical distress. And I feel like that those were the first experiences that I had. But I wanted to say something that you said, like, how is it to be in the world that way? When I was seven years old, my great aunt, my maternal grandmother's oldest sister was caring for me. My parents were traveling And she said, you know, honey, I recognize that you have these gifts that no one is actually acknowledging or training because no one knows how to acknowledge or train these things. And so, at least my parents didn't, they didn't have an awareness where she had an awareness and she started doing little things to train me and help me along. But in that conversation, she said to me, you know, it may feel very lonely. It may feel very isolating to be able to do these things. Just know that even though you may feel or may be alone, you are not lonely and you're really not alone in any of this, you know, because she was beginning to teach me about energy and the fact that it's all around us all the time, every single moment of every single day, it doesn't ever go away. And it just sort of builds upon itself, you know? That's incredible. And I love that you had someone in your life who affirmed and saw that and encouraged that. Because I think for a lot of us, whether it's the experience you're having or something else, you can feel pretty lonely if you're going through something and you don't immediately have community or you're not witnessing someone else experience it and go through it before you, it can be a little challenging. So I would love to hear about that transition from that childhood experience into adulthood and what that looks like as you mature in the experience. (laughs) That's a really great question. You know, I think because of my own independence and because I pretty much was given tools, my parents gave me the tool of independence, you know, go figure it out, go figure it out and, you know, come home before the sun is down because I am a generation Xer, you know, so it was really to my advantage to have such independence and to love to learn. I mean, my parents were in school until I was 14 years old, literally. They were getting their advanced degrees. They were, you know, professionals. They were doing all this. So there was a lot of emphasis and love of learning and books. And so I I do remember if I had questions, I would just go to the library and find a book, figure it out, you know, and there were, there were so many really cool books on metaphysics that were written in like 1925 that I got to get my hands on and then were was reintroduced to them later on by a teacher that I had for 34 years. I, I mean, I was very fortunate. And I, I do believe that when the student is ready, the teacher will find you or you'll just happen upon each other's paths like you and I, like whatever, right? But around the time that I was 12 years old, I, we had just moved to Oakland from Iowa City, Iowa, and I was figuring out how to get around the city. And I took a bus from my remote area of where I lived to Berkeley because I found a Berkeley free paper. And I found that in this church somewhere, somebody, these women were giving past life regressions. So as a 12 year old, I got on the bus. My parents had no idea And I just went because I was drawn to this idea, drawn to information that I couldn't access on my own. Who was I in a past life? 
how does that make sense now? Why am I drawn to certain things? Why do I have the gifts that I have? Because they did come just sort of organically and ornately. And because I was so different from my parents, at this point, I still had a really great relationship with my great aunt. But I think that she was also concerned that I was then so far away from her physically. We were no longer in in Iowa or Michigan. We weren't in the Midwest, but we were in California. So I was turning to these other sort of modalities or these other people who were spiritually guided, spiritually led to sort of figure things out. And I don't know now as a mom, I don't know that I would have let my 12 year old just go <laughs> get a past life regression some by from you know some random people but i didn't even tell my parents like that wasn't even part of a conversation i was having with them because i was figuring it out for myself what i will say about my journey from childhood into adulthood is that i was listening to my inner desire this there was an inner yearning happening that just I don't know, I can say that it's like a desire to learn how to swim or to paint or to take dance classes. I was always interested in the metaphysical. I was always interested in why I could feel something but didn't necessarily have that tangible something. I will say that there was a an experience I had at probably around 11. I was invited to a slumber party and during the day at school, it was a Friday afternoon at school, some of the girls were talking about, you know, what they were going to bring to the slumber party and like the pajamas that they were going to bring. And, and I started saying, oh, I want to bring these pajamas and I'm going to bring this game. I didn't have any of those things. Like physically, I did not own the pajamas I was describing. And I remember walking home thinking, oh my God, I've just lied to these people. How am I going to, how am I going to make this stuff happen? When I got home, those pajamas were laying on my bed. My mother had gone to the store to get me new pajamas for this slumber party because she knew I was super excited about it. And she got me a game to take along as well. So I was describing, like I was compelled to say this, but my logical mind did not know, I didn't have the proof. And then more things like that kept happening. More things like that kept happening. There was a time around the time I was like 16, the textures of my dreams were changing. And those dreams started happening in real life. Like I would have a dream, I would write it down. And then within the year, within a few months, that thing would actually occur in life. So I was getting these moments of acknowledgement, confirmation, affirmation in life. And so that those are the sort of breadcrumbs that once I got to be a full-fledged adult, I was like, oh my goodness. Okay, these things have been happening all, all along. Let me take my education into my hands more seriously. Let me find ways to hone these skills. If it is a skill, I didn't even know if it was meant to be used really with other people other than helping my friends when they felt badly or a family member when they felt badly or maybe helping people through some trauma, helping myself through trauma. Those were really the ways in which I was using whatever feral (laughs) uh, skills that I had, you know. But then when I was around, I'd say in my early 20s, is when I found my teacher, Dr. Keaton, through just divine intervention. And she started really showing me how to hone these skills, how to direct them intentionally, what my intention was creating for people. I have an innate calmness. My energy is very calm. I think that comes from, you know, loving nature, being out in nature. We've talked about this. I'm such an introvert that I need to have the space in nature or on my own in order to feel balanced and whole and productive and focused. So I do know that about myself. And because of that, I was never like a big partier or anything like that. But I was designated driver, right? uh, My friends were partying like crazy maniacs. So I was the one that was like, okay, fine. If you're going to do those things, get in the car. (laughs) Let me hydrate you. Let me make sure that you're fed or whatever. And we'll take your shoes off before we put you in the bed, right? Like it was, I was the one that was nurturing everyone. And that's sort of my natural way of being. I have two younger sisters who I think because my parents, again, like they were doing their thing. 
I, for the most part, raised my sisters. I mean, I had lots of resources from my parents, but I was raising my sisters. So I don't know. I just love that space of caring for someone. I love the space of making sure that people feel loved and cared for because so many people do not feel that. And I, I feel like everyone should. I know that everyone should. There's so much love to give. And, there's, and then once you give love, it's that ripple effect. That person who's feeling the love gives love, you know, and it just keeps growing and growing and building and building. Did that answer the question? Absolutely. I have about 10 things I want to ask you just based on that alone. But to build on what you just said, it made me think of a Tara Brock quote where she said, it's not survival of the fittest, it's survival of the nurtured and how we have not looked at it through that lens and how powerful nurturing is and how nurtured children and nurtured adults show up in this world and what that looks like. And it's not about dominating. It's about connecting. So I love that you shared that. I've seen you in that caretaking, nurturing role. And it's kind of funny because I've often found this, whether it was in psychotherapy or, or any of the other modalities that I've practiced in, it's a little bit different than what everyone thinks it is. Because I think we have this image of this healing experience and it's this white glowing light in this sacred perfect space all the time and yet we are working with real people who have real lives and real trauma and real strengths and real complications in a very real world and I would love to touch on what that's like to be that person right I love these firsthand experiences but to also be the practitioner or the nurturer when we don't have almost that idealized person that someone imagines in front of us. We just have a real human being who needs caring in yeah. front of us. What is that oh. like for you to be oh in that God. space? Oh my God. Well, I love that. I love to be in that space. I, I, I seek it out all the time. The thing that I will say is that I very early on needed to release myself from any expectation about how whoever the soul is that I get to work with to release myself from the expectation of how they will receive what I'm facilitating and how they will utilize it in their life. That's none of my business. So because I got that, at first I didn't and I would feel upset or I would feel that I failed in some way when, when when they felt the love, but then they were still experiencing the frustrations in their life or making some choices that I wouldn't have necessarily made. And I, so I, as a younger energy practitioner, I got to shift my perspective and say, you know, Wendy, the point is to love unconditionally. The point is to give love unconditionally. And in that moment of giving love unconditionally, they get to make any choice they want. And you get to love them through any choice they make any and every choice they make. That is the point, period, the end. If you're only loving them or you're feeling upset or disgruntled or disappointed in my own, I don't know, power to heal, and I, that's, a, that's a whole other thing. That's just ridiculous, whatever. If I'm doing that, I'm not loving unconditionally because we come into this world with so many different combinations of situations and circumstances and opportunities and resources, so many combinations of things. Just love the person in the moment, meet them where they are and give that loving energy. And the energy is going to go where the energy needs to go. The energy is going to go where the person is willing to accept the energy, whether they know it or not. It's just, if there's nothing to do, it's just a being. It's so funny. As soon as you started Answering that, I was thinking of the story of the prodigal son because I actually always interpreted the story a little differently, whereas there was always an abundance of love that this son could have left and done anything and he could come back. But also his other son that had been there the entire time, there was an abundance of love for him too. And that we don't live in this constant state of fear of deprivation of love and support and nurturing, even in the universe you know, even in that parable, but in real life as well. And so what you described was a really 
powerful example. And I also don't think it's a one-time lesson. I think I get to learn that over and over and over again throughout my life. It's something we talk about on this podcast a lot. And, you know, when we're showing up for the people in our lives, whether it's family, partners, work, trying to, in my own terms, like don't go to the hardware store for milk. Don't put that intent expectation on someone and set them up in a way that they can't. Maybe that transformation that my mind is telling me I can create, maybe that transformation happens when I kind of take my hands off the wheel and I just show up and I'm in That's presence. Right. It's just really challenging to it do. Is. It is. Easy. It is. Um, I've been really fortunate to work with people birthing themselves into this life and birthing themselves out of this particular lifetime. And I'm telling you, it's equally joyous, both directions. And it's equally laborious in both directions, right? I can tell you, I have had the most transformative moments working with someone in hospice and just being there. There's nothing, just loving however and whatever is happening. And that takes, I don't know, at first I just threw myself into it. And at one point I had several clients that were going through this particular journey. And I remember one day after that, I really needed self-care. I really needed, I, you know, there was so much that I was going through and I had not forgotten to care for myself, but I didn't realize I needed a particular type of care. Like I just had no idea because I hadn't done so much of that. But there was one day where I just didn't get out of the bed. And it wasn't because I was depressed. It wasn't because of anything other than the fact that I just wanted to, you remember, I don't know if you played this game when you were little, that when you were sick, like the floor was the ocean and your bed was like the boat. I just wanted to be in that cozy boat and just float all day, right? Just like cater to the little girl in me and, and put myself in a cozy environment, which was my bed, where I could really appreciate the transition I got to witness, the transitions I got to be a part of, and how I got to learn. And it's what, I mean, what a blessing, what a gift I was given. Just this beautiful gift of, you know, life doesn't have to be any different per se. It doesn't need to be any more spectacular or bigger, but that gratitude and that appreciation for where we are, just the the presence of where we are. And having that those experiences allowed me to be even more present with whomever I got to be with, whether it was my family member, myself, you know, other clients, whatever it was, meeting people where they are. You get to meet yourself where you are too. And I think that as a as a practitioner or as a caretaker or caregiver or however. It's so funny. I have a hard time with caretaker because I don't feel like I'm taking anything from anybody. I feel like I'm giving it. But also people ask me all the time, don't you get depleted? I mean, I'm so high at the end of the day if I've been doing Reiki sessions all day, (laughs) whether they're in person or they're distant sessions. If I've been doing several Reiki sessions, I am so elevated. I literally have to go stand in my lawn. I have to go stand or put my hands in potted plants or something to ground myself. It is so, I'm so elevated. It does not deplete at all because that beautiful, beautiful energy that's just running through me as a current being dedicated to whomever I get to work with is a beautiful, beautiful replenishing energy, you know? All of that to say, it's just such a honor to, I don't know, be a conduit, be a care conduit. Maybe that's the word. I love that. A care Care conduit. conduit. I mean, that just came just now. Honestly, I've never used that before. So, Oh, I love that much. Mm -hmm. But I feel like that's more accurate, right? Very much so. And as someone who knows you in real life, who's worked with you, learned from you, all of those things that actually fits more so than any other title. And I really feel like that's something that you were teaching me when we were doing our training. And it was just very powerful. Mm -hmm. And it kind of opened me up because it actually felt more natural for me. 
very often, whether it's through school or profession, I found myself in positions where you're not allowed to show up with humility as a conduit, as a person in a realization that there's something bigger, there's something on the other side, and I am not the source of everything, but it's moving through me. And you're almost not allowed to show up in that way in some spaces. So I think learning from you about that and watching that and watching other people experience that with you was really powerful. And I mean, I so appreciate it. It obviously changed my life in huge ways. But I will say what you mentioned earlier about the birth work and the death work. I too have been in those spaces and it's interesting because people would always ask me, are you nervous? <laughs> and I was like, I get nervous going to weddings. Yes. Like I don't get nervous in those exactly. moments. I you know, like sitting, watching someone get married is for some reason very anxiety inducing. But being with someone in those moments, for some reason, I felt like I was meeting myself, more yeah. myself. And I felt like there was almost this expectation that you have to do. Right. Because we live in a culture where you have to do a lot. You almost earn your keep, Absolutely. earn your space, earn your yeah. presence here. And I, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> I very much found in those settings that it was really about the almost doing less and the mm -hmm. presence and how we overlook the power of presence, whether that is I've done that in birth work and very much so in the death work. And it's been powerful and beautiful in both. And Lifelong lessons, Lifelong right? Lessons. To, to witness those things. Yeah. What's really fascinating, you know, one of the things I love about Reiki um, in particular, especially when you're going into the second level of your Reiki training, when you're learning about using the different kanji symbols and things of that nature, there's one in particular that's for distance, right? You use it for distance. You use it. I know, right? Exactly. You use I'm mouthing, I love that one too, Wendy, in case anyone can't, you know, you're hearing this. I was like, I love that one. And Wendy yeah, taught exactly. me about it's that so one. It's so powerful because it, it's the distance between you and I or whoever you work with. It's the distance between the past and the present, even the present and the future. Mm -hmm. It encompasses so much. And so one of the things I, I got, <laughs> this is this is kind of the road to... Uh, I was outed. Literally, I was outed in public about being a energy worker. I was at an executive training that was happening. It was very rigorous. And we were partnered, you know, with somebody for the entire weekend. It was like a four day thing, right? And my partner and I had had a conversation about energy and things like that. And I think I had said to him, mm, you know, yeah, I, I do energy work. And he goes, he was very interested in it. We kind of dropped it because we had to do these exercises. And in the exercises, there were 150 people in this training. Okay. And so in the exercise, things were getting very heated. There were arguments that were just popping off all over the place. And I sat very quietly and I started using the distance symbol in the room because that's what you're supposed to do, right? As a Reiki master, you live Reiki all the time. So I started like just imagining the symbols in the middle in the center of the room like radiating outward and I you know remembered to use the distant symbol and so my partner looks at me and he goes what are you doing you're you're so quiet and I'm feeling some heat come off of you what are you doing <laughs> and I said shh I'm doing some Reiki in the room you know and he just sat and watched everybody calm down and start to simmer down and people were able to come to agreements. They were able to do the thing that they were meant to do. Well, like whatever. So we had a break shortly after and he was telling me that he had a headache. So I said, okay, sit over here. And I did a little Reiki on his head. And then I went to the bathroom to go clean myself off, right? Because we have energetic hygiene that we need to adhere to. So I went to the bathroom to go do some energetic hygiene. I come back from the bathroom. There's a line of people. And my partner had said, yeah, you know, we were arguing and Wendy reikied the room and she's amazing. And you should just sit here. If you have a headache or a backache or anything going on, just sit here. She'll work on you. I swear to God, I was mortified, mortified. I just want to say the thing is that I'm responding to is just how effusive people are 
afterwards and how they experienced that. And I remember for myself, the first time he worked on me, I remember feeling so good, but so uncomfortable because I realized how long it had been since I felt good or I, my body felt okay. And it was just overwhelming. I remember I left the office. I went to Dupar's on Ventura Boulevard and I sat there and had a piece of pie. And I was thinking about this life-changing experience I just had with you. And I think I wrote like five pages about it. Oh so I, I, I get that, man. <laughs> and I really understand that experience. You know, it's interesting too, because now I have started working on spaces because I've had so many experiences in spaces where I've needed to clean the space before I could work on the person. So I've been working on homes or office spaces or whatever the space is. And I love that even more. I love that even more than working on people. And I love working on people. But what happens is it's like you're creating this beautiful pod of love so that people can work together harmoniously or live more balanced in a balanced way. But it's interesting because it does have that same sort of transformative quality. And it's just funny how it took me a while to get there. But for the last, I think, three or four years, I've really, really um, understood how important cleaning the space is, you know, like, I do my house all the time. Whenever, you know, when my kids were little, if they were having nightmares, or if we had a big party, even I would clean after before and after energetically, because if you leave party energy in your house, it's, you can't sleep. Little ones can't sleep. You know, there's too much activity happening where you need to calm down, you know, same thing, you know, but I worked on a space recently and the owner of the house said to me, wow, I felt so good. I could, it was, it was amazing. I, I could stay focused. I didn't have arguments. I wasn't nitpicky. I, you know, all of these things. And it is, you know, I think because I get to do it all the time and I'm doing it all the time, I'm not aware of how it feels to the other person. I know what is possible for them. I know what could happen, what should kind of happen. But I very often don't get to hear about, you know, how something has shifted a person's life. So I don't go around. I don't think about it. I just go to the next thing where, oh, I get to clean this or I get to work with this person or I get to do that. And it's so much fun to me. And it's in, it's important work. It's hard to express that though to people who are very connected with tangible physical shifts or tangible, you know, let me put my hand on this thing. Wait, you want me to pay you this amount of money to do that for the space? Oh, that's ridiculous. And I think, okay, great. That, that's not somebody that I'm going to work with then. That's okay. You know, it's really, it's just really an interesting thing. But when people do have those profound experiences, they're like, oh my God, that was totally worth it. That was completely worth it. Well, I have a, an example. <laughs> I booked a session with you, a distance session for a friend of mine. And I would define her as someone who likes tangible things. And she said, all right, you're going to sell me a bag of magic beans too? She was just like, fine, I guess I'll do right. a session. That sounds so great. You're being yeah. so nice. But this is very, she's like, this is a very Casey thing, but we'll see. And to this day, that was like a year and a half ago. She talks about it every time we talk to each wow. other because it was when it, it was her first experience with that non-tangible surrender and it was life-changing. Yeah. Yeah. So you are affecting the, the tangible group because I hear about it all the time. I, I think I want to ask you more questions about energetic hygiene, but also tied into the space. So you and I have had discussions in the past. I think the very first time I met you, you talked to me about energetic yeah. hygiene and you were like, so energetically, you're kind of covered in mud. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried why you haven't washed it off. And you're like, I, to this day, I remember you saying that. I was like, if I had to define myself, that's how I would. I would say, you know, shiny on the inside, covered in mud, hasn't washed it off yet. Yeah. I think if I'm going through that and I experience that on a regular basis and it's a thing I yeah. need to work on, I'm sure people out there are experiencing that yeah. as well. 
but maybe they haven't had that conversation. So maybe you could talk to us a little bit about energetic yeah, hygiene. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'll start from, you know, energy is energy is energy. It's everywhere. It's all around us. It doesn't go anywhere, right? It doesn't really go anywhere. Air doesn't go anywhere, but we clean it. We purify it. We have plants around us. There are things around us that are natural cleansers for the air, right? Same with energy. Like if we're going to, okay, I'm going to, I'll use this analogy. If you're angry about something and we know what thought forms look like, right? We've, we've, there's, there's science backed studies around what anger does to water. So if we have, I don't know how much water we have in our bodies and our cells need water and our brains need water. And if anger is doing this to water, it's also doing it to us, right? And as somebody who's an empath, anybody who walks into a room and they can feel the static, they can feel that something happened. There was something happened that wasn't happy or laughing at some outburst, some something that energy, what happens is you become kind of <laughs> nose blind to it. You're just used to it. It's just there permeating the space. It's like, um, you know, you go to a barbecue and you're there all day and you don't realize that you smell like smoke or whatever until you come home into a different environment and you smell like smoke, whatever. It's the same with energy. So the ways in which to clean ourselves the very the, the most simple way is to use salt. Salt is the most accessible, the easiest way to clean our energy. And you can use it, you know, just regular table salt, where you put some in the palm of your hand and you use it as sort of like soap under cold water. And what that does, salt pulls from you any energies that are not yours. So I hesitate to say negative energies or positive energies really because energy is energy is energy, right? And anyway, we'll just, that's a whole nother tangent that we can go on. But if the energy is not yours, <laughs> it's, and, and you feel very othered by the energy, like you feel a little irritated or a little um, unable to ground yourself, or maybe like you've had too much coffee or argumentative or whatever, tired, exhausted, whatever the case may be, the easiest way to bring yourself back to sort of a neutral, your own sort of biome, your energetic biome is to wash your hands with salt water. So that's one of the easiest ways to do it. But we can also, if you are connected to, I mean, that's a very tangible for those tangible people out there that want to use something. The mineral of salt is so very powerful. So even I have in my shower, a salt scrub, salt and olive oil and essential oils. And I use it every single day, but I use it because yes, I want to have beautiful, soft, amazing skin, but also I want to get that gucky energy. That's not mine. I want it to, I want to make sure I'm getting it off because I don't want to give it to anybody else. So when I'm working with somebody in person, I will use an Oryx spray. So it smells really great, but there's always some salt in there. There are always some salt crystals so that I'm cleansing their aura before I work on them. And I'm using Himalayan salt rocks on people too, so that we just all stay clean. I don't want the germs and they don't want mine. And we want to just be good and happy and you know, have a good time and get to the issue at hand. And instead of me in a Reiki session, having to clean off, I mean, there's a lot of energy I'm cleaning off anyway, but that helps tremendously. So that's one way. Another way for those people who are meditators maybe, or can use their imagination. I started doing this with my children when they were really little because kids are really open. So I wanted them to zip themselves up with white armor all the time. I'm doing it for them. But if you were to imagine just, you know, beautiful, pure, clean, amazing light that's coming in from the source of all light, it's pure, it's uncut, right? And it is pouring all the way around you. It's pouring into you. And it just creates this beautiful armor around you that just keeps you nice and clean all through your day. So when you walk into the grocery store or you, you know, walk into a public space, you're not getting bombarded with everybody else's energy. So my type of um, sensitivity, I'll call it that, is such that I, <laughs> I feel people's energy like when I shouldn't. And I've, and 
I've gotten to the point in my life where I know what to do to not feel it, right? So, but when I was like a teenager and a young adult and I was working in retail as we sometimes do, right? I would pass a somebody, pass a person and get, if they had a sore throat, I would get their sore throat. If they had a headache, I would get their headache. If they had an earache, I would get their earache. And that was a way for, it was confirmation that I could feel what they were feeling. I didn't know I could do anything about it then. And so then later on, as I started working in the energy space, I would say it wasn't as diligent and clear about utilizing good hygiene for my own protection. I would have a session with somebody and I would feel right away what their ailment was. If they had a broken bone, I would feel it a very specific way and all of that. And I realized that was great for the early stages of me learning about how to distinguish and determine, but it wasn't really good for my body. It wasn't a nice thing to feel in my body. I can have an awareness of what that is now, of how to sense somebody's energy without taking it in all the way to my physicality. And that is partially because of the hygiene that I'm using, because I am surrounding myself with healing light and I'm surrounding the other person as well. I've learned that in order for me to really protect myself and be the best energetic practitioner for someone else, I do need to use energetic hygiene in order to just stay healthy, safe, and good because it's not necessary that I feel so deeply the broken bone, the ailment, the headache, the throat, whatever it is. But it is important for me to understand where I can assist the person more, you know, with with the laying on hands or the hovering over with the energetic modalities. But for me to do that well, I need to stay clean and tidy. I mean, you know, I don't know. It's like if a surgeon was not going to wash their hands between surgeries, like that's ridiculous, but they're not cleaning their energy either, which is why they get irritated, which is why there's so many things. My dad's a retired surgeon. So I've had lots of conversations with him and my friends who are surgeons, believe me, like, please clean your energy. And they, you know, I don't know if they actually do it, but at least I've done what I can do by having the conversation. But it's so interesting as you're speaking about that, because I feel like there are so many parallels for everyone listening, whether we're talking about energy work or whether we're talking about showing up in our lives and our relationships and having those boundaries. And I think that there's this very harsh feeling around boundaries versus the gentleness, the, the taking care of, the making sure everyone's okay with what's happening. And I love that. I feel like I've learned a lot of lessons about that from you. And it's that physical practice that I'm actually doing, but it shows up emotionally. So for some of us, we need that sort of bottom up approach where we are engaged in a physical practice where we have to take care of ourselves in that way. And it translates into our emotional life a little bit of, oh, oh, that came up. Oh, that's not mine to carry. That's okay. Like, it doesn't mean it's bad, but it's not mine. And that is such a lesson that I get to learn on a daily basis. But um, no, I, I, I love all of this because I think it really does translate. And these are practical things for our real lives. I know that the conversations we've had about energetic hygiene have really, really helped me and allowed me not to show up with almost, you know, the brick yeah. wall, but to show up with presence without that fear and that worry and being like, oh, I can kind of turn the dial down on this and still show up and I'm okay. So I almost felt like I was better prepared, I guess is how I've experienced. Because that brick wall is really hard to land against, right? You're going to hit it. The other person's going to hit it instead of, yeah, having that soft space. You're absolutely right. I love that. It is important. I sort of take it upon myself in going into spaces, if I'm going into public spaces, to energize that space before I get there, whether I'm in my car and I'm thinking about walking into the bank or whatever it is, walking in to see a client. Because if somebody comes to see me in my space, it's already lit up for them, right? It's, it's really clean and ready to go. But when you're, even when you're getting in your car, You know, those are one of the tenets of just an any energy worker, if they're actually worth their salt, I'm just going to say, haha, they're going to energize that space, their car, 
the freeway, their neighborhood, their neighbors, whomever and whatever, the person that's riding them too close behind them, they're going to send energy back there. You know, the person that, you know, is potentially experiencing a little bit of road rage, they're going to send some beautiful energy in that direction, you know, to sort of shift some things, right? Um, It really does help tremendously in every, it's very practical. It's interesting because my husband asked me the other day, he goes, you know, how does it feel to be so woo-woo? And he kind of, you know, was giving me some examples of how that shows up. And it's really difficult for him or even my mother, my parents, they don't know what I do. Like, you know, they have no idea, but I don't look at it as being so woo-woo. I'll just use that word. It's very tangible. It's very practical. It makes perfect sense. And especially if you're applying it, like you think about when you're making your food, if people have the propensity to pray, if you're praying on your food, you're energizing your food. That's what it is. If you are singing to your plants, you're giving them that beautiful frequency. It's the same thing. It's it's sharing energy in these beautiful ways. It's very real. It's very tangible. If you're in a bad mood and you are a tree hugger as I am, you know, you can't stay angry if you're hugging a tree, if you're getting that beautiful energy, or if you're engaging in a beautiful physical communication with an amazing animal, a horse, a dog, a cat, a bird, a whatever. It doesn't matter. You There's just this beautiful loving frequency because we're able to meet each other, me and whoever I'm exchanging this energy with, we're able to meet each other on a very loving, just natural currency. It's the current, you know, between me and you and whatever. That frequency, that energy is always here. It's between everything. It's holding us together. It's so interesting because one of the things I wanted to ask you today is kind of building on that topic. And it's, How do we maintain a spiritual life in the modern world without it seeming like this thing that's far beyond and outside of ourselves that could be in alignment with our daily life? You know, you gave the example that I loved of the salt and the olive oil. And I was like, is there anything more practical than that? It's the basis of everything we make. Everyone probably has that in their house and it's that first step. So I would love to hear from you about that, that intersection of those worlds or that streamlining. How do we maintain that spiritual life in the modern world? You know, I really feel it's respect and it really comes to that. We're breathing, you know, and that's an automatic thing. And we can have respect for our breath. We can have respect for the beauty of our bodies in whatever shape they are, they're perfect. There's no mistake. There's no whatever. Our body is working the way it's working. And if we have respect and love, that's spirituality right there. It's about in this very moment, having the presence to be aware of our breath, our internal being, because spirituality is not outside of ourselves. It is inside. It's the spirit. The spirit is within us and that is spirituality, right? Our soul is our spirit. Whatever it is that 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 frequency, that current that's running within us, that is spirit. That is spirituality. And then the spirituality is how we engage with the spirit that's running through us. So whether it's through a daily mindful practice, whatever it is, I mean, washing your dishes can be spiritual. Cleaning your home is a spiritual, doing laundry, hugging a friend or a loved one is a spiritual experience. Looking into someone's eyes, whatever that exchange is, is a spiritual experience because the eyes are the windows to the soul. We are connecting here and acknowledging here, I see you, I hear you, I'm acknowledging your presence, whether I agree agree with you or not. We are both spiritual beings maneuvering this lifetime. That is spirit in and of itself. And I like to take it down to the bare bones, tack, you know, the, the grit of it, the seed of it, because we're doing it anyway. We're doing it anyway. But if you're paying attention, if you're focusing on where you are in the present moment. Okay, so for instance, I have a sheepskin that I'm sitting on. And this is from my Kundalini practice. And it's a grounding 
element, right? And I might forget about it all the time, but it's also comforting me. So it's just, it's what you surround yourself with. It's what you talk about. It's what you fill your body with. So I, I got my septum piercing not very long ago, you know, and my mom was asking me about it because she was like, what are you doing? Why did you do that? And I was really feeling that I wanted to balance myself. I I know that I do a lot of work in the, you know, the energe- energetic space and in helping to balance other people, but I wanted to have an awareness, a reminder that I can seek balance at any given moment. It's in the center of my face. You know, I forget it's there, but it's a reminder to me at any moment that I can find balance and comfort at any given moment, at any given time. I can you know, center myself in my breathing. I can just feel that there's support beneath me because my feet are on the ground, right? (laughs) I'm sitting in a chair. There's some support beneath me. And it can be as simple as that. And then I can look at other ways in which to ripple out that balance. And to me, that's spirituality. That's the function of bringing it into a day-to-day awareness or a day-to-day practice. It's literally, it's living is spirituality. It's my belief that we come into these bodies and we're, we're wanting to experience life. Our spirit is wanting to experience life. And so as we find beautiful ways in which to experience life, whatever that is, it could be, I don't know, whatever you like, origami. I don't know why that came to mind, but you know, if you're doing it with intention and with love, you know, that is spirituality. It really is. It's such a good reminder how approachable it is. I shared on a previous podcast episode that I had a few health issues for about like the last two years. And it was so funny the moment I remembered that nature isn't outside of myself, that I'm nature. And that might not sound mind blowing to anyone else, but for someone who felt very disempowered and disembodied for a while. It was such a good reminder that, yeah, it's beautiful to be in a forest or be by the ocean, but like I'm also nature too. And even the simple act of placing a hand on my heart and a hand on my abdomen when I felt so disconnected from myself and just coming back into center, kind of Mm -hmm. like what you mentioned, was really powerful. And it didn't have to be this big thing that I did. And those big things are fun. Yeah. But this was really approachable. Those are so fun, you know, but it was just really nice to have that remembrance uh, that it is accessible. And how much differently would we walk through the world if we remembered that we were all like that and every single person we encounter has that going on as well? It's just a really powerful reminder. So that was kind of one of the lessons that I got out of it. And I think it leads us into my next question, which is, that this podcast explores all the things that our younger selves needed to hear. So when I have someone come on, I want to know from them, what is the love letter that they would have written to their younger self? And that could be you from 30 years ago, and it could be you from yesterday. But what were some of the things that you needed to hear? It's so interesting because when I think about um, a love letter to myself, one of the things that first pops up for me is my very first memory ever. My very first memory is me standing on the edge of my crib. Like I'm in my crib, I'm pulled up to the crib and I'm holding on to the crib and I'm having a conversation with two versions of myself, like a young adult self. And then I can see an older version, probably me now, standing outside of my window. And that is my first memory. It was a very, it's a very strange memory to have, but I will tell you that my mother would say to people of me as a little kid that she would walk into my room and I would be standing at my crib having conversations with nothing, like full conversation in some language and just, you know, waiting for answers and then answering back. But I do have a memory of having conversations with different versions of myself at the same time, they were there, the two versions, older versions of me. And so what I would say as a love letter to myself, probably myself at 13, because I, I didn't think I was going to live beyond 13 for whatever reason, right? But as a 13-year-old, if I would just give a love letter to myself, I would say, seeing is believing, just watch. 
I love you. I'm always there for you. Just watch. And you'll get exactly what you need when you need it. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to freak out. You don't have to be in any kind of way. I'm always there with you. And it's so wild that like when you, when you proposed that question to me, I, I was like, what would I say to myself? What would I, how would I love myself? How would I, but I remember that first memory of me telling my baby self, I've got you. You're never going to be alone. You're always going to be okay. Whatever you need, we'll work it out. And I would send that same love letter to my 13 year old self because somewhere around along around that time, I don't think I remembered that. I didn't know that. And it's only a memory that I've uncovered, I think probably when I got to be 30 or something like that. But that's what I would say. I got you. I love you. You're amazing. I'm always with you and we will figure it out. It, and you, there's, no, there's no wrong answer, actually. Make a mistake. It's okay. It kind of feels good sometimes to make a mistake because you learn from that, you know? You really do. It's okay you're not going to get swallowed up in a, you know, the ground or whatever. If you make a, a mistake, you're going to live and you're going to be fine. Yeah. That's what I would say to myself. <laughs> I think so many of us need to hear that. And I love these different versions of the love letters because I think it's just such a good example of how we're all connected and how we have so many of the same fears and insecurities. And we're so comforted by some of the same language, yet we often don't say it. So I really appreciate that you said that. I think my 15-year-old self needed to hear your love letters. So <laughs> perfect timing. So Wendy, I know how I get in touch with you, yeah. but where can people find you if they would like to connect with you or book a session or they're curious about yeah. what you're doing? Yeah. I think the easiest way to get in touch with me is emailing me at hellowendyextine at gmail.com. And it's the word hello. Wendy is W-E-N-D-I-E-C-K-S-T-E-I-N at gmail.com. Amazing. And I'll make sure to link that and, and share that in the show notes as well, because I know how much I love having you in my life. So I'm sure <laughs> someone else is listening to this and really curious about what we talked about. So thank yeah. you so much for being with us today, oh, Wendy. Thank you, Casey. Thank you so much. This is amazing. My very first podcast. That was awesome. Until next time, please make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Maybe take a moment to like, rate, or review this podcast. And thank you again for listening to Love Letters and Mixtapes. <laughs>